love your earrings. Hey, thank you. I got them on Just Fab. Really? Yeah. It was like a combo set of like random earrings that... They are Just Fab. <laughs> thank you. Okay, I'm going to just dive in. Okay. Um, I have no introduction for this podcast yet. I... Um, Christina. Power <laughs> <laughs> <Powered> women. <laughs> Woo. And that should be the theme song moving forward. Um, I feel like we're already off to a great start. Okay. Um, my name is Christina Singh. I am the host of Grown Woman, a podcast where we explore all of the small ways in which women are successful. Every week I interview a new fabulous woman and talk about their journey and all of the little things that they do to create success in their lives. So today, I have a very special person who I love very dearly, and it's our first episode, so I'm so excited. So please forgive me if everything is shit, Um, because I'm trying, and I don't know how to do anything related to a podcast, so thank you, YouTube. Um, So our first guest today is Minna Taylor. Um, Some notes I have in here that I want to talk to you about from this morning. Um, A couple things. Matcha cream cheese. Cream cheese? Mm-hmm. Matcha cream cheese that I saw at the cafe where I got my coffee. And then I want to talk to you about my experience in the bathroom, amongst <laughs> other things. Let me, like, give you a real introduction first so people aren't like, what the fuck am I I don't know. I kind of just, I'm, like, now stuck on matcha cream cheese. <laughs> just throwing it out there. All right. My beautiful friend, Minna Taylor, is the founder and CEO of Energize Your Voice, Energize Your Voice is dedicated to helping professionals find confidence in their voice, comfort in communication, and command in any presentation situation. She addresses the breath, the body, the mind, the business, and creates building blocks for discovering a new approach to presence. Um, Minna has worked with, let me just, I I highlighted some big hitters here. Mm -hmm. Citibank, Red Bull, Compass, Constant Contact, Ernst and Young, and Uber. Get it. Get it. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I'm sure there are other things on there where you're like, oh, I need to add like this other like. Something. I'm redoing my entire website. It's fine. <laughs> well, welcome. Can you lean a little bit closer? Got it. Is okay. that close enough? Oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being my first guest. Thank you for um, putting up with this madness right now. Um, I love this. I one of the things I always promote is the only constant in human behavior is fallibility. Mm-hmm. So any flaws are beautiful. Well, welcome to yeah. a lot of flaws. <laughs> um, okay, so first thing I wanted to talk to you about matcha cream cheese. I <laughs> the important I, stuff. Important. <laughs> Um, this show is about success, and I feel like that's a failure. Mm. Um, so I was at a cafe down the street where I got coffee, and my coffee uh, cup has a panda on it, which I'm really excited about. But on the menu, and they had different matchas, and then they had different toasts and granolas. And then I see on the menu, matcha cream cheese with salmon. Minna is, you cannot see the face oh. she's making. <laughs> But it is terrifying. That is basically like what I did mentally because I did not want to offend the man in front of me who was working at the counter. And so I went up there and I was like, what would you recommend off of the menu? Like, what are your heavy hitters? And he told me that the egg salad, which I was thrown for a loop on. Um, And I 
brought up the matcha cream cheese, but in a very polite way. Um, and I said, so matcha cream cheese, what's going on there? And he literally went into so much detail about the cream cheese. <laughs> and was like, it's very unique. Um, well, duh. And we have onions in it and lime juice. And I was like, every single thing you're telling me is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. And so I wanted to talk to you about how women can handle their presence in front of people who do things like that, create matcha cream cheese, try and take things too seriously. Mm. How can people remain authentic and um, ethical? In an environment where we're just kind of being thrown bullshit every step of the way. Yep. Go. (laughs) One of the big things to consider here is mindfulness. So you have a reaction to information that you're getting and based on your own historical behavior and conscious and unconscious biases, we have a reaction to that, right? So we're thinking, who the hell would do matcha and salmon, let alone onions and lime juice and all of that stuff together? It's just... As you're saying, I want to vomit. It's a a genuinely terrible idea. Uh, So first of all, give yourself permission to have that reaction, right? Um, Knowing how it's going to be displayed non-verbally, but be mindful of it, right? So you can still process that information and have an opinion about it, Mm -hmm. right? One that we don't necessarily need to verbalize or vocalize. Then it's about engaging in a sense of curiosity. That's going to be your strongest tool all the time is this makes no sense to me. I think this is the worst idea, but somehow it went through enough stages of trial that they decided ultimately to put this on the menu. Why? I need to get to the bottom of this. So that gives other people the opportunity to share their value and now puts you in a position of status because you're the one that's engaging and controlling the conversation. So then you can really get them to, and and essentially using power of persuasion, get them to understand that it's maybe not the best idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, this isn't an ideal scenario. If you're talking about in a professional situation, you're going to have people push back and Mm -hmm. the arrogance is going to override, right? Where they just think they are winners all day. They can do nothing wrong. They're the golden child of industry. Uh, And at that point, again, curiosity is really going to be, because even if you can't persuade them to shift their point of view, Mm -hmm. you can get information on them. So you know next time how to engage more acutely in a conversation with them. So that if they are a stakeholder in any given situation, you do have those tools now and you can go in and persuade because you have a better sense of who they are and how they operate. This is why I wanted you as my first guest. Because you can take any situation and make it the most thoughtful and wonderful and most insightful way to display communication. And I'm so excited you're here. That was fantastic. Um, So second situation that just happened to me right when we were leaving or right when I left to go to the bathroom and I came back. So go to the bathroom, enter the code. We're in this like kind of funky office space that I found sorry this is probably echoey but i go into the bathroom do my thing i look up there is a hole in the ceiling in the ceiling you saw that right yeah so there's a hole in the ceiling number one number two a young woman comes into the bathroom and, and starts singing 
cash, money, money, cash. And I was like, what is happening? So I am not necessarily an introvert. In some situations, I don't want to talk to anyone, as some people do. Um, But my thought is, okay, I'm washing my hands. This woman is singing. When you're in a situation where someone is making you uncomfortable or you don't know how to communicate with them or you don't know necessarily what's going on, what are some tools that people can use that would make them incredibly nervous in that type of situation or not know what to do or not know how to handle it? I know we just touched upon some like curiosity and staying mindful. Um, My thought was around knowing your boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some things that come to mind in that kind of scenario for you? Knowing your boundaries is, is a really important one. And first of all, I want to like give props to this woman for just I know, feeling right? it so hard in that moment that she's I like, know. I am going to, I don't, I don't care who's in here, right? I'm just going to like feel my voice. Like, I'm going to go poop and sing. I'm going to go poop and sing. And you know what? Like rock on sister, <laughs> like do your thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there is something where we need to acknowledge and appreciate the differences in behavior of other people. Totally. Right. Uh, also knowing, do I feel safe here? Am I even interested in holding space for this? You can still come from a place of compassion and also say, I'm not into this. Right. Those two are not mutually exclusive. So that's something to really keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it's really just about appreciating the other person and uh, knowing to say no. Mm-hmm. Also acknowledging the moment of resistance and what your behavioral patterns are around negotiating that situation. So For sure. Do you tend to retreat? Does your body invite tension because you're now and feel like you need to move into protection mode? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you overcompensate and sort of engage in a way that may make the other person feel slightly confronted? Mm-hmm. So it's really about breathing, coming into a neutral body, understanding if the anxiety mind is kicking in, how can you calm it down? Yeah. And really approach the situation objectively, right? We have all of those unconscious psychological mechanisms that put us into a hyper state. And so then it's really about what are the facts? Who am I in front of? Do I feel danger? Is this annoying? Do I find it kind of hilarious? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you can appreciate it for what it is, right? A time and place. Totally. In that moment, I was like, this is a beautiful story that I can't wait to tell Mina is happening right now. And, And it wasn't a big deal at all. It was just this moment where I was like, I wonder how someone who does care would feel. Or like how they do, I wonder how people, I mean, I feel like we're seeing videos constantly online of people who care too much Mm -hmm. about who's talking around them, of what people are doing. For example, a lot of videos of white women calling police on black individuals or getting security involved um, or just going up to people and saying things that are highly inappropriate. And I, I just thought of in that moment, like, I'm sure there would be a person here in this bathroom who might feel incredibly uncomfortable mm-hmm. in this situation mm-hmm. instead of ignoring it or um or just like not even paying mind to it or seeing the humor in it. Yeah, I had, right. And 
Honestly, this is one of my big challenges right now in the climate in which we find ourselves. And, And so a mantra that I really stand behind is live your truth, speak your truth, be your truth unapologetically all the time, as long as it's coming from love. Right. So let's take the scenario of a white woman calling the police on a black woman in Starbucks, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that that's ever happened. <laughs> uh, fine, right? She, she has her own cultural background. She has her own biases. She's uh, contextualizing this experience from a very specific vantage point. We need to give space for that, whether we think it's right or wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So non-judgmentally, first of all, she is in her own experience. The real question I would have is, what was her motivation for calling the police? Mm-hmm. So is it one of love? Did she feel, based on her own experience, for some reason that everyone else in the space was in danger? Mm-hmm. Or did she simply feel like this person isn't allowed to share the same space as me? Two very different objectives in calling the police. One is coming from love, although we may not find it right, we may not find it um, kind or compassionate or representative of the multicultural world in which we live, Mm. uh, where compassion and acceptance is something that we should all strive for. But we still can't fault her for it, right? Mm -hmm. Hopefully that's an opportunity to educate somebody like that. But on the other hand, she's coming from a place of fear. Totally. Uh, So she's acting in self-interest. She's acting in a way that is diminishing, that is exclusionary, uh, and that is ultimately going to result in humiliation for somebody who did nothing wrong. And humiliation is one of the deepest experiences we can have that will leave the hugest impact uh, in terms of adjusting our behavior from that moment forward. Mm So that's really the thing. It's live your truth, speak your truth, be your truth unapologetically all the time as long as it's coming from love. So if you're in that bathroom and someone's singing and uh, it's really genuinely making you feel uncomfortable, uh, do you speak up? You need to make that choice. And then if you do, how can you ensure that it's coming from love? If it's just coming from fear, but you ultimately are not in danger, then that's a moment for self-reflection. Totally, yeah. And... uh... Yeah, I think you're spot on there in in that moment of fear. And um, so for those who don't know, I work for a nonprofit and I work for a soup kitchen and community center here in Brooklyn. Um, and we have been having a lot of conversations about racial equity. Um, and a lot of conversations about racial equity in relation to our staff and how we can be more racially equitable. Um, and in the first conversation, there were a lot of tears um it was a group of women meeting and i was one woman of color with um two other white women and then another black woman in the conversation and it was brought up so basically we had some assignments around this where we had to watch some videos we watched a video of a man i cannot for the life of me remember his name but i'll look it up later um and he had he had spent his life dedicating um, himself to understanding racism and understanding um, why people view him differently and asking the question, how can you hate me when you don't even know me? Mm -hmm. And he's very famous for actually becoming friends with members of uh, the KKK. And he is very famous for going in and just learning and absorbing 
the information that they're saying and then processing and just being there to learn Mm -hmm. at the same time. Not necessarily saying that is the solution for everyone put in that situation. But the the curiosity is a very interesting point. Um, But his biggest point and throughout his research is, um, well, he had several incredible points, but one of them was that fear breeds ignorance. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lack of education and a lack of exposure breeds fear. Fear breeds ignorance. Ignorance breeds hatred. And typically, hatred breeds action. Yeah, right. Exactly. Violence, negative impact, destructive behavior. Mm -hmm. So... We haven't really talked generally about your work and what you do. We got real deep going from matcha cream cheese into institutional racism. Totally fine. Yeah. Um, if, if we were talking six degrees of random conversation, right. I think we succeeded. But I feel like this is a great representation of like how we interact in general and like how our conversations can like flow from so much randomness into like seriousness and then out of, yeah, that just comes greatness. So I know you uh, from networking. Um, so we were in the same networking group for around two years um, called BNI. And you were the public speaking and communication seat holder. <laughs> um, and from my experience with you, I would typically sit next to you, um, and which is always very fun. Um, and you would hand pieces of educational moments to the group every single week. And you would also talk about your workshops, your programs, your um, coaching, and what you were doing on a weekly basis, um, as would I for my work that I was doing. And so you left the group, which makes me so sad every single week because I miss you so much. But um, in that time when you know we would spend time together, I learned immensely from you. And I ended up taking a almost every workshop you had except for spark um girl you missed out that's like i know (laughs) (laughs) um and so what i learned from you just were like a handful a plethora a cornucopia Mm -hmm. i might say of uh lessons about presence Mm -hmm. and lessons about basically i almost want to say like biohacking myself to be present and to speak mindfully and to use my breath to my advantage and to take pause. I remember we had a long conversation about being silent and relishing in silence. Um, And from there, you know, you and I worked together on, you know, understanding what the um, pitch would be for my current organization and the brand there. And, um, I've just learned so much from you and I just love you to death and I think everything you do is just so valuable. And so can you go into Energize Your Voice and what you do? I, You and I have not caught up in a little bit, but I would love to know kind of what you're doing now because I know you had some major changes happening to your business and you've literally just been like, I'm in Amsterdam every month. Um, but I would love to learn more about kind of what's been happening and what you do and, and I would love to share with our listeners what's going on in the world of Minna. Yeah. Um, so generally, uh, it's, it's challenging because people ask me what I do and I right. have to speak really high level. Um, 
obviously being so intimately acquainted with the company that I built, I know the, the it's sort of like the iceberg, right? I see mm-hmm. everything that happens underneath and the potential of what we'll get is there. <laughs> um, but, but if we're looking at just the tip of the iceberg, it's communication consulting. So really looking at creating happier, higher performing people through experiential training methods using performance principles and improvisation as a foundation, although we do build that on with hard and fast practical techniques and pretty in-depth strategy, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the needs of the organization. And we look at public speaking and storytelling, presentation skills, confidence building, which is a huge one. If you, Especially if you're in a rapid growth organization, you're onboarding 20 people a month, you have all these people mm-hmm. who's attending to them. So really empowering those new people to be acquainted with not only the communication systems of the organization, but how people talk to one another. And then becoming really confident and agile in their communication of the brand story of the organization, what the values are and how they speak and act and behave within those values. Mm. So creating trainings for people like that. And, and then we, you know, sort of scale up from there, creating yeah. EQ, so emotionally intelligent feedback structures, doing uh, emotional intelligence, customer experience road mapping for those really challenging customer mm. experience calls. So it, it really pretty much anything that ultimately has to come out of your mouth, we facilitate. I love that. Yeah. So I want to jump back in time. Because you started out as an actor. I did. Correct? Yeah. So I want to know how you became an actor, number one, and then how you went from that to this huge undertaking. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was talking about it yesterday. I was meeting with somebody who um, is the founder of a company. And it's just I I think sometimes about the fact that I started as an actor and so beyond what I just mentioned about my company we're also building out pretty enormous data models looking at how to measure the impact and sustainability of soft skill learning and development training Mm -hmm. which is huge Uh, yeah developing a conference for the spring called counterculture conference human versus robot around the responsible integration of AI into social and organizational culture to protect the human um And so if I reflect on that, and then I think, so I grew up on a farm in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Uh, My sisters and I would play dress up and make believe. Uh, I've been into theater. I went to a, did the performing arts track in high school. I went to NYU Tisch for theater. Uh, And then while I was at NYU Tisch, I took uh, part of the training. I trained with the Atlantic Theater Company. First of all, their, their technique for acting is very cut and dry. It's what are you doing? At the end of the day, what is your action? Mm. Don't worry about how you're saying it. Don't worry about how you're feeling. Understand what you're doing and why you're doing it in that moment, in the arc of the narrative. So what is your objective? Speak it and engage in it truthfully. That's it, right? Which is a pretty bare bones approach to acting. I think it's different than what people conceive of as acting. In addition to that, we also explored phonetics and this vocal practice developed by Chuck Jones. So when I first came to New York when I was 18, uh, enter NYU, I'm going to give you as best I can Mm -hmm. a rendition of what my voice used to sound like. Oh my God, I can't wait. So first of all, I grew up on a farm in Virginia and my voice was really high. I was also 18. I was so young. And over the course of nine months, we recorded ourselves on the first day of speech class. In nine months, my voice dropped to where it is now. 
because uh, the vocal practice just opened up my body so my vibration had such greater, deeper access to really speaking with my whole body rather than just my mouth. And then the phonetics, I, I got rid of my accent entirely. It was it was remarkable. Everybody in class was like, holy shit. <laughs> uh, and so I, I, I just responded to the work. It made sense to me. Uh, and so when I graduated from NYU, I TA'd for the speech class. And then I went to graduate school. I TA'd while I was there. And then after I got out of graduate school, which I also did for theater. Okay. Um, so I've doubled down, got my master's right. in acting. Uh, and, and so it's how do you support yourself as an actor, right? When you're trying to get acting work and I wasn't going to wait tables. Mm-hmm. So I cleaned houses, actually I cleaned houses for 10 years wow. and, um, and I was doing corporate coaching. So yeah. I'd clean an apartment in the morning and then I'd go and have a couple corporate clients in the afternoon. Uh, in accent reduction. So I got asked to do more presentation coaching one-on-one. A couple workshops. People were like, hey, can you do a presentation workshop? I was like, I don't know what that would look like. I was like, I guess I'll just use improv. And that's sort of how that was born. Oh, wow. Um, People responded to it well. And so I just get asked to do stuff, like try to, you know, get more gigs. And then um, eventually got to the point where I was like, you know, I, I think I just need to really commit to doing this. So I've been coaching for 12 years. I've only had Energize Your Voice uh, as my primary thing for five years. And um, the idea being I'm going to use that as a way to support my acting. So mm-hmm. quit cleaning houses. Quit all my, I was teaching kickboxing also. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I think about this. I mean, you know, life of an actor, life of a 20-something in New York. Totally. Uh, 20-something, I feel like anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. Yeah, trying to figure it out. Uh, so when I started my company, I was like, oh, I'll just do coaching. And quickly realized the acquisition process is a nightmare, retention is a nightmare, um, my skill set, I think now I teach it at an executive level, then I was taking on pretty much anybody just mm. so I could take some clientele. Uh, and it just wasn't sustainable and I wasn't having the impact that I wanted, which is when I decided to create my public classes. So Spark and Breath, Body, Brain, Yoga Voice and Public Speaking, um, my pitch class, the Brand Essentials class and then intro to accent reduction. So I taught those for two and a half years, I think. Uh, And in the meantime, was just relentless in Mm. trying to get corporate gigs because I realized, okay, not only do they have the money, but they have the money for continued integration of the training. Because if we're talking about embodied training rather than embrained training, we need to create new muscle habits around that and muscle memory. So it takes consistent exposure. And once I figured that out, and that's really been the last, let's say two years, year and a half, two years. And now we're sort of at the that place. So it's a pretty well-oiled machine at this point. Exciting. Yeah. And then doing international work. And so it's... Um, yeah, thinking back to when I was doing really shitty theater for no money and in <laughs> rehearsals until 11 p.m., met some incredible people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so grateful that I started with that. But now, you know, I just got back from Amsterdam and, and people just say, you know, you have such a gift for this, this, you really this do. facilitation. And I think it's because it feels so performative. It's not that it's inauthentic or disingenuous or that I'm trying to be a character. It just, it allows me to step into my power and presence in such a way that I feel so grateful that people are responding, but also so grateful that I found 
that yeah. my way into this, you know? Totally. I just, I think about that all the time. So let's play off of that. So um, stepping into your power has led you to help other women step into their power. Mm-hmm. What have you noticed about that process? And what have you noticed about the women that, specifically the women that you've worked with in executive coaching and in these workshops mm-hmm. um, and around their communication? I think that if I were to give it a tagline <laughs> or a title, please do. Uh, it would be, I don't know if I can. Mm. And I would take those words and think, uh, what is your system of belief? conscious or unconscious Mm -hmm. that's guiding you into that mindset so that's the first thing I don't know if I can Uh, well who's who's now on the other side of that who has the power to determine if you can or not and now if we bring the power fully back to you why are you making the choice about whether or not to give yourself permission right and then beyond that, and this is where I would come in, so that's more of life coaching you know, scenario, thinking about mindset and strategy, mm-hmm. which I do a little bit of, but I'm not certified at all. Uh, there are people much more expert than me. Um, but where I would really come in and say, now what are your behavioral patterns around that? So if you know, I, mean, I don't know if I can, and I'm in a scenario, for example, a meeting, and, and someone's talking, and it's a project that I may be working on, and I have something to contribute to the conversation, but I don't know if I can. Mm. How does your body resist the urge to speak up? Voice is a symptom of the body. So if the body is physically compromised, our breath is not going to be deeply accessible. Well, breath is the fuel for voice. So if the breath is compromised, the voice is compromised. And then the way we ultimately vocalize will not be fully empowered because it'll be restricted due to the fear that's in the body because I don't know if I can. Mm -hmm. If we shift that to, I wonder what's possible if, now we've changed this scenario. And now all of a sudden we, we get in a creative space. We turn on that curiosity muscle. I wonder what's possible if I speak up rather than I don't know if I can speak up. Even in those words, we there's a visceral reaction. There really is. Like my face is just there. It's just like, wow, that is heavy. Yeah. That's a heavy thing to say to yourself. Oh, I wonder what's possible right. if, right? If we take that and then put it into the body, it's open, it's available. There may still be some sense of apprehension, but fear is our greatest calibrator for definitive, impactful action. Totally. Because if we work in spite of that, we've now made a very conscious decision to move forward. So I wonder what's possible if, oh shit, let's go for it, right? Then you're working from a place of power. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing I hear from executives all the way down to junior level employees is, I don't know if I can. And then I'm thinking, well, what's possible if? Right. And it changes the conversation entirely. I mean, I've worked with you and I know when this has changed. We've we've talked about my voice a lot Mm -hmm. and how I live in a higher register. But when I'm more comfortable, when I'm breathing, when my body's open, my voice is actually quite deep. Um, Hopefully we'll see more of that. (laughs) Um, I got you, girl. And so I... What does that change look like? I'm sure this is a part that's quite exciting for you Mm -hmm. in working with people. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure everything is quite exciting for you, but seeing that 
change because um, I know from taking one of your classes that you have people present and then you evaluate, you talk to them about what kind of small changes they could make or what kind of fear is coming into their body. What are they feeling when they're saying certain words? Are they breathing? So when you see those changes, what bubbles up for you and what do you see when people have those changes? You know, when you have a conversation that's looming, right? Yeah. And you talk it out in your head, you think about what your objectives are, you start anticipating and making assumptions around what the other person's gonna say, and then you get into the conversation and it all goes out the window because you're trying to remember what it is you wanted to say and you're trying to listen to them and you're not really paying attention and you don't know what you're doing and ultimately it's not as productive as you want. Every day of my life. <laughs> and then sometimes you go in and you have that same conversation, it goes exactly how you want and your body just surrenders. Totally. And depending on the level of historical resistance you've compounded Mm. around speaking up, speaking your truth, that moment of surrender can be, I mean, transformative. What I see mostly is... You know, because people, it's like I'm telling you release your hips and people are like, what's that going to do for me? And then I go up and I release their hips and tell them to stop clenching their butt. And all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, right? Um, So so it's hard to say it. And then they actually surrender to the moment of trying to explore what happens if my body feels easy, playful, and agile. Mm -hmm. And open and impulsive and responsive. Uh, It's vulnerable. It's all the, not all, but most of the muscle habit is unconscious. So when you release it, all of a sudden there's this awakening because you didn't even know that that was something that was blocking you. Yeah. You told me to breathe through my asshole Yeah. when I was talking yeah. and I was like, what? Yep. And then I did it mm-hmm. and I was like, I am superwoman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause let's talk about what happens when you breathe mm-hmm. through your asshole. Let's I mean, do it. <laughs> uh, what you're doing there is you're releasing the lower abdominals right? Uh, which is really important because then that gives us access to the pelvic floor, which is, and I'm going into, you know, woohoo land here, mm-hmm. but that's where our root chakra is, which is the area of impulse, passion, and intention. That's the place from which we ultimately speak because that's where our impulse lives. We love our root chakra. We love our root chakra. Uh, so we drop in, by breathing into the asshole, we drop our pelvic floor, we open up our lower abdominals, we allow breath access to that impulse center and then our body can now fuel unencumbered our most effective execution of thoughts wants feelings and needs Mm. whereas if we're only breathing from our upper breath mechanisms or our chest we're now a not fully connecting to our truth center but we're also deeply limiting the availability for effective vibration when we're engaging with people one-on-one it's not about what we're saying it's about how we're saying it and the vibration, so voices sound. Yeah. The, what we're hearing is sound, right? Voice, as it's produced, is vibration. It's sound waves, <laughs> right? So if our voice doesn't have a deep sense of vibration, the listener will never, will, will be robbed, right? Let's go there, we'll be robbed 
of the full impact of your presence in communication. So breathing into your asshole will give you deeper access to vibration, will ultimately make your interactions more memorable and have a greater purpose. You have heard it here first. Breathe through your asshole all the time. It will have outstanding benefits. People will listen to you. But it's honestly true. Yes. It's honestly true. And I had, I actually had a presentation this morning in um, BNI, and I took, I mean, it was great. And there were moments, there were a lot of moments where I was nervous, voice got a little shaky. In those moments, of course, I heard Minna Taylor in my head saying, breathe. Not specifically through my asshole, just <laughs> breathe. Um, and I took a step. And before I did my presentation, I shook out a bit. Um, I crossed my legs and made sure to disrupt um, myself physically. And I really want to talk to you about that particular piece because it is so much about what you do. And it's so much, uh, it, it's definitely how you connect people to the vibration and the vibration of their voices and understanding that through breath Mm -hmm. and movement. Can you speak uh, to movement in your practice a bit more and what that means and how people can take that and use that? Mm -hmm. It depends on the scenario. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and first of all, when we talk about movement, that doesn't actually mean taking a step. Mm -hmm. That doesn't actually mean using your hands. It means having the availability of movement. Right, right, yeah. So even in stillness, we're not living in stiffness. So in stillness, we still feel flow of breath. We still feel flow of energy and presence. We're, as we're inhaling, we are getting inspired. We are taking an inspirational breath and that's moving through us, even in stillness. And then when we have the impulse to respond, our body is now available to do that so that our gesture or our movement, our physical proximity is now directly in line with a response that is acutely associated to what it is we've just received. So can you give a physical example of that? Um, Say we have a young woman who is giving her first presentation to her team. Mm -hmm. What are some things that she could do to embody what you just said? First of all, it's not going to happen miraculously in that moment. Yeah. So the biggest gift you can give yourself is practice. Practice, even if it's the day before or the morning of, but practice out loud and on your feet. And when you're preparing your presentation, never memorize it. Consistency over scripted always. So come up with your really targeted points, your overarching objective, and figure out how you're going to get there from um, a, a tactical perspective rather than a verbal perspective. So so what are the action steps, who you're speaking to, and what do you ultimately want to get out of the presentation? Mm-hmm. And practice out, out loud. You'll you'll find that consistent phrases emerge, but you'll always say things differently, but you're always speaking to the same point. Right. That's the important thing. So that is the biggest gift. And then when you ultimately get up there, you're like, man, I practiced, I did it, I did it no more than 10 times. So seven to 10 times practicing out loud and on your feet in dynamic ways. 
right? So this is not how you're ultimately going to present it, but get those arms stretched. Use different parts of your voice that feel weird. Um, you're like, yes, nailed it. Seven to ten times as a sweet spot so you don't move into memorization. Uh, and then you get up there and you're like, whoop, nope, out the window. Right. In that moment, uh, feel your feet on the ground. Feel your breath in your lower back. And then put your focus outside of yourself. And it's always going to serve you to initiate the voice in an innocuous way. Mm. So that might be, hey, everybody. Oh, Jim, did you want to sit over here? Something that allows you to connect outside, connect with the people in the room, it makes it a little bit less of a separation so you don't feel like the ego is going into override of a it's a me versus them scenario. It really brings you and unifies you together. But by activating breath and voice and maybe even incorporating some movement, oh, here, let me get that chair for you, Jen. Right, because then you have that authentic connection and authenticity in yourself correct rather than starting from a a place of okay i'm ready okay now's the time okay all right all right minna you have a presentation for us yes hello thank you right so (laughs) how how can i allow my voice to be present before it's time for me to present yeah i have seen a lot of presentations as have you but being in that group that i am in and you were in we saw people presenting every single week mm-hmm. um and it was a great way to understand what is engaging um to other people in the room and what is not engaging um and i'm you are such a fantastic presenter obviously but something that you do that i find really wonderful is you don't use any tools really you use yourself you're selling yourself um but when you're presenting you're really charismatic and i know play is a huge part of your business model is a huge part of you and who you are um how can people integrate play in other ways other than saying like jim you know have a seat and and having that authenticity pop up because i know you're a huge advocate of integrating play into all of these things Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So that practice method that I told you about is really playful, Mm. right? Essentially going back into make-believe and it's thinking, you know, uh, yeah, like how silly, how big, how weird can I get Mm -hmm. in presenting this? And that in and of itself is confronting because a lot of us like to stay safe and we've lost that sense of childhood wonder. Totally, yeah. Especially I think when we're in an environment where we're supposed to be very cookie cutter, business Mm -hmm. casual, um, there are office rules, wear a blazer to every meeting, you know, Mm -hmm. just that environment, it can be hard to find play in those moments. Yeah. So even if you're wearing a blazer, that doesn't mean you're no longer Christina. Mm. And how can you... This is very profound right now. (laughs) For me, for me personally. (laughs) Well, and and that's not to say there isn't, there's not a sense of propriety that's required, a professionalism that's required when Mm -hmm. you're in a professional situation. So then find playful ways in, to incorporate it subtly. So using different parts of my voice, mm-hmm. maybe playing around with a tactic that feels a little bit silly, um, and, and, and challenging yourself to upset people's expectation, Yeah, which is where comedy comes in, right? That's all comedy is. 
It's upset expectation. I'm walking along the street. I don't expect to slip and fall. I do. Ha ha. I hope you're okay. Right? Uh, <laughs> please be okay. Please be okay. Uh, but it's really that. So it's how do I upset people's expectation? And it doesn't have to be in service of funny. It doesn't have to be in service of humor. Right. But by having a mindset toward how can I challenge myself to move out of my own predictive behavior, move out of my own set boundaried mindset and limited mindset, and how can I challenge myself to upset my own expectations, then guess what? People start to take notice. Mm-hmm. Even if they can't directly identify what it is, it will be perceptible. Absolutely. So when did that happen personally with you? Was that in school when you started taking these speech classes and when your voice was changing? When did you notice these things happening in yourself and and that change to make you eventually come to this point where you're teaching this to other people? <laughs> I don't think it happened until a few years after I started teaching. Mm. Uh, I started teaching just knowing that I had a real facility for phonetic instruction. Right, right. Even that that fucking (laughs) sentence. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Um, I understand the physiology of the voice and breath mechanism and how it ties into ultimately speaking your truth and pursuing objective. That's all performance principles. Moving that into the corporate setting doing you know like it's, it's a tish i'm like an actor i'm like changing naked in front of everybody and all of a sudden i'm like in a suit right in a suit telling people to breathe through their and telling them, but that didn't come much later so, I know, so I know. that's part of when i found at, at some point you know i i started consulting with this company as a contractor doing accent reduction and the woman bless her heart she said can you take out your nose ring and here's a bag of clothes please look <gasps> professional but she was gifting me right because she knew right. i was just out of college i right. mean she was our graduate school she was incredible i'm so grateful for that opportunity but i was i in that moment i was like oh I can't just show up as myself. I need to sort of have this professional air. What is that? Who am I as a professional? You know, mm. all of a sudden I started to think, what it, what about me doesn't fulfill that role? And how can I give the impression that I'm bridging that gap? Even though I'm, I'm very uh, trepidatious mm-hmm. around actually taking that leap. Yeah, yeah. And at some point I... I <laughs> I started just being like, you know what, I the only gift I can give myself is using my own voice. And it was probably a couple clients, I can't identify exactly who, um, but a couple clients that were themselves very authentic, very senior in their role, very comfortable in who they were, mm-hmm. dropping F-bombs, feeling a little bit more casual, but still very purposeful mm-hmm. in our engagement. And I thought, okay, People will accept me for who I am. I'll show up with my nose ring. I'll probably drop an F-bomb. I'll tell you to breathe through your asshole, but you're going to feel the enormous value that you have to offer if you can buy into that. Absolutely. And that's something that I personally have struggled with as well, is being authentic, being myself, being goofy, talking about how much I love dinosaurs. Like, you know, just all of these things that, make you you but you're in this environment where you do have to adjust in these very um huge ways in order to make sure you're heard and it's something that i personally have battled with because 
I have had roles where everyone is in that box and I feel outside of that box. Um, I've had roles where no one is inside the box and I'm feeling like, hey, we really need to like at least like go in and out of the box sometimes. Um, And so for me, I, I totally relate to that. And I totally relate to the fact that authenticity in the workplace can be really challenging mm-hmm. because they're all we set up this like strange system of expectations um but i do think you really touched on a great point that i think is important for other women to know um that you and i have talked about is that when you have management that sets the tone when you have management that allows you to be a little more free and a little more playful that is huge mm-hmm. how, how have you seen that in your work and how have you seen that help them and their teams what you're talking about is is culture right, right. so how is culture defined and leave space for self-expression and failure and trying new things uh, really appreciating each employee for what they have to offer rather than using them as a tool toward revenue building Amen. <laughs> now, if it's if it's the latter, right? So if it's a manager who really just wants you to buckle down and get the work done, A, is that a place where you want to exist? And if it is, uh, even for a short time, even accepting that and understanding the purpose behind it will make the experience that much more bearable. But also, if you do show up and demonstrate yourself authentically and they're showing resistance, that speaks more about them than it does to you. Mm-hmm. That's something to always keep in mind and to never allow anyone to diminish you because of their own apprehension or feeling threatened. Right. Now, if you're in a place where they have created a culture around self-expression, uh, that's a really beautiful opportunity to now say, okay, if I'm given this freedom to express myself, what do I want my mark to be? Mm. What is it that I'm passionate about? And that may be initially through a process of exploration. So asking your manager, I'd like to sort of shadow this person on a couple projects and get a better sense of what that looks like and a deeper understanding because I think it would facilitate my work in this way. Uh, can I allot five hours a week to that? Managers love that trip, by the way, listeners. Like, they love it when you take initiative in that way. Exactly. Yeah. So in terms of speaking up for yourself, even in our first example where the managers really want you to just buckle down, even coming to them, and again, this is where strategy comes into negotiation and communication, mm-hmm. knowing what their objectives are, how can you speak to that audience knowing what their objectives are and using language that's aligned with that? So if they want you to buckle down and get the work done, you can say, I'm, I'm really excited about this project. I see what I'm doing. This is where I'm up to speed right now. This is where some of my gaps are, but I noticed that such and so is working on this thing. I would love to support them and take some time out to do that because I know it would benefit me ultimately. Mm-hmm. Right? So knowing how to negotiate that conversation. Right. And I would add to that, if you have a good manager, they will... Managers love that shit, but some managers do not. And... If you have a meaningful manager and if you have someone supporting you, they'll want to see you grow. They'll want to see you doing that. They'll want to see you um, taking initiative yourself and being more strategic on your pers- within your personal growth at a company. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's great. Um, so I, I have a segment on this show that I'm starting right now okay. um, <laughs> that is called Oh Girl No. And it is about the worst advice that you've ever been given. Um, 
And it doesn't have to be like worst of the worst, but just something that you maybe you see people do in your work um, or something somebody told you that was just really not it. Um, do you have an oh girl no? I, I don't have an oh girl no in terms of bad advice someone's giving me. It would be more of an oh girl no for me in mm. reflection on advice that I didn't take. Mm. Okay. At the time when yeah. I needed to take it. And I was actually reflecting on this. Where, where I look back at myself and I just think, oh, girl, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, like most things in life, was I prepared to take that uh, feedback at that point? No. If I'd taken action on that advice at that point, would it have been as effective? Right. No. But still, oh, girl, no. Why didn't you at least put it in your back pocket and like, right. try to figure it out? So I mentioned I'm working on this data project right now. Of course, everybody is. Data is the new currency. Uh, but really, there's no way to measure impact of soft skills training yet. Uh, and, and ultimately, we're looking to build predictive mechanisms and machine learning around it. I'm just starting this, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I need a team, I need money. Uh, four years ago, somebody said to me, how are you measuring all this? You should collect some data around your, your workshops. And I said... Can't measure what I do. Can't you can't measure presence? Well, guess what? We're trying to figure out how to measure presence. Oh wow! So I think back on that, and I think, oh, curl, no. Again, would I have been able to activate it on on it then? No. Uh, But I think it's so valuable to understand where you're at, assess your resistance, and just sort of keep things in the corner. Um, and the person that told it to me had nothing, you know, speak your truth, be your truth, live your truth, right. unapologetically, come from love. He was coming from love, you know, he was just really wanted to see me succeed. He's the one that titled me the magic unicorn. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that was my oh girl no. Wow, that's fascinating. And I think it's such a good lesson also in that you do not have all the answers. Mm-mm. You had, like, literally I started... I'm starting this podcast because I do not have all the answers and I know other women do not have all of the answers and they need to learn from other women. You know what's so cool is so I work with, um, you know, all types of people, but sometimes I'll work with professors or doctors or people that are like on the forefront of their industry and they have to give talks somewhere and their biggest apprehension is what if someone asked me a question that I don't know? Mm. And I'm like, you mean you don't know everything all the time? And especially depending on what industry you're in, they're coming even even in the nonprofit space, right? Oh, yeah. They're coming out with new data, new approaches, new policy as we're sitting here talking. Do you think you'll be abreast of it once you walk out the door? Absolutely not. Right. Let yourself on the off the hook. And and it's honestly a beautiful gift to not know. In a public speaking scenario, it invites further conversation because you've incited that curiosity. Mm-hmm. But just in life in general, welcome the gap. Yeah. Right? It forces you to put other things in perspective. And then again, what's possible if? Mm-hmm. What lies in that space? Absolutely. Because uh, that is, again, going back to that fear of not knowing, going back to the fear of not having the experience, and then also taking either really negative action, like we were talking about at the top of the show, or really inquisitive action. I think 
action is so meaningful. And if you take no action, you will never know what type of meaning that could have mm-hmm. in your life. Um, obviously, I'm a proponent of taking positive action, but positive action can turn into negative action in an instant. And what we might perceive of as negative action, firing Literally. somebody, breaking up with somebody, telling somebody no. Right. We think of that as negative, but it's a really positive thing that you're doing because you're respecting the other person, you're respecting yourself, and you're mm-hmm. clearly communicating. Absolutely. And what could come off as positive action could be incredibly negative, like saying yes, or uh, I ordered a matcha before I came here. I really wanted a coffee latte, and I drank the whole matcha, and then I ordered another latte. I could have just gone up and said, like, my order is wrong. But I do. Really? You didn't do that? No, I drank oh the God. whole thing. I think but, people hate going out to eat with me because I'm always like, hi, I'm sorry. <laughs> I drank the whole thing. But also because I really wanted the caffeine. But, but, but the guy at the counter obviously must have then, when I ordered the coffee latte, yeah. must have been like, oh, I must have gotten that wrong. Or maybe he didn't. I have no idea. But that that little action had so much more of a huge emotional impact on me than anyone else. And yep. it, and it's like, why didn't I just go up and say, well, actually, and, my and let me wrong. ask you this. How did it feel in your body? Oh my God. So restricting. And I also just felt like I couldn't breathe. Yeah. And I was, and your mind was going a thousand miles yes. a minute because you didn't have the breath to process your thoughts out. Totally. And yeah. I, I, I sat there and I put sugar in my matcha latte and like did nothing. And I, meanwhile, I'm just like not breathing. <laughs> Super stiff. Feeling horrible. Like yeah. Almost Thinking about fucking matcha cream cheese. And <laughs> resenting them for even coming up with that idea. <laughs> exactly. Thinking about how I'm going to talk to Minna about it later. <laughs> like just a flurry of emotions that are just so unnecessary. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, that's why I want to have these conversations that's why because I know I'm not the only one and I know that there are so many women out there who um, have these small actions that impact their day whether they're negative actions or positive Mm -hmm. or vice versa in their outcome Um, so I do want to get into some nitty-gritty questions before we wrap up um, because I really am interested in process so going back to when you first started coaching people how did you get your first client my very first client was a referral from my speech teacher in graduate school. Okay. It, pretty much up to this point, and even at this point, every bit of business, I get a few people who reach out to me cold, but um, is through referral mm-hmm. or people I know. That's a really good thing to know for people who are looking to expand in business. Mm-hmm. When did you create a website and how did you do that? I created a website. Oh my gosh. Um, I, so I had maybe like three or four coaching clients and then I realized that the people who I was coaching were actually like real professionals. (laughs) You're like, you're real. And I was like, shit, I should build a website so I look legitimate. And, um, so I've, Energize Your Voice has actually been around for like 10 years. Wow. Um, but only, and I only incorporated five years ago. Um, and I built my, so I bought the domain, energizervoice.com was taken. So I got .net, but now if you Google me, I come up first. Sucka. Just kidding. Um, I don't even know if there's something. <laughs> um, like, sorry, actually. Actually, I'm sure you're really nice. Um, <laughs> 
And I built it on a platform called Website Tonight. And I... It sounds like a late night show. It was crazy. And I was not satisfied with all of their templates. So I learned how to do custom HTML. This was back in <laughs> So crazy. Oh my God. How did you find... How did I, you just online? I, yeah. I just like looked at the code. And then I looked at other... Co- I don't know. I just figured it out. And... Um, I customized an entire website and then uh, something happened where they lost all of my data. I know. And uh, so I was like, fuck them. But it was a great opportunity. You now know basic HTML. You now I know basic HTML. Um, And uh, yeah, so it's gone through a bunch of iterations, but two years ago I actually hired a branding company to... Um, rebrand and build my website and Mm -hmm. put my big girl pants on and actually (laughs) um, delegated that to somebody else. Very cool. So you also talk about starting your first workshop and not knowing how to do that. Mm -hmm. So how did you do that? Well, I had my first corporate workshop and then I had my first public workshop. My first corporate workshop it was a friend of mine, and she said, listen, our, our team is a small team. I think it was six people. We're looking. I charged them nothing, I think, back on that. I'm like... What did you charge them? I think it was, I want to say, like, $750 for... <laughs> so funny. For a three-hour workshop and, I think, five hours of coaching. Wow. Yeah. You cannot get me for that cheap anymore. No. Know your worth. <laughs> know your that worth. That is literally... Number Nothing. one, know your worth. <laughs> know your worth. Um, but, you know, it was my first corporate gig and whatever. Yeah. And this was also 10 years ago. So, like, you know. Yeah. I, who knows what the going rates were back then. Um, but she said, listen, we're looking to do a presentation workshop. And uh, in graduate school, we had two years of improv. And the, the way we were learning it wasn't, again, about being funny or building an improv team. It was... What are the tools we're exploring within these exercises? And then how do you actually teach them? Mm. Uh, so I was like, all right. And I got in touch with my professor and I said, this is the thing. This is a couple of exercises I'm looking at doing. And she was like, yeah, I think that would be in service of that. Uh, and created a training around it. And then was like, okay, great. Um, for my public workshop, I came up with this idea around the first one I ever did was Spark. It was called Spark, A Better First Impression where we understand how we perceive ourselves, how the public perceives us. Are those two the same thing? If Mm -hmm. not, where is the disconnect? And then how can we introduce new behavior mechanisms to bridge the gap to create greater alignment? Um, And the first one I did of that, I was like, this is really confronting because we analyze each person one by one. Everyone gets up and we say, this is what my impression of you was after I experienced with you, it shifted. Uh, and then we talk. So it's it's pretty vulnerable. Just a fun time. It's a fun time. Um, so I was like, okay, do I? And it was I started as it a dating workshop, which right I remember felt that exclusionary. Yeah. So I shifted it just to make it a more general one. But when it was a dating one first, I was like, oh, okay, let me have wine, let me have hors d'oeuvres. I invited like twenty people. You're and like then playing Kenny G in the back. Oh my god, it was so crazy. Man. And it was just way too many people. It was a great learning experience. It was the first one I did. I didn't realize how into analyzing other people people would be. Um, <laughs> and, and so when I when I stopped running it last March, February, um, I always cap it at 10 people. Sometimes I would allow 12, but mm. it, 10 people so that everyone can get 
focused time and um, really eight was like the sweet spot. Wow. Yeah. So I, it was like a series of iterations and refining the analysis process and all that. Yeah. That's a really great lesson that you just did it. I just did it. That's a big <laughs> lesson there. I was yeah. like, you know what? I trust enough that I'm not here to harm anyone. Right. Definitely. <laughs> and that event has actually gotten some pretty great press, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. where has that been featured? Um, well, I think the big one was Time Out New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came and they took it and wrote a workshop on it. And I think similar to what everyone says, I don't really know what I was getting myself into. And once I got there and realized I was terrified. And then mm-hmm. once I left, I felt transformed. Um, yeah, that was the that was the big piece of press. It's... Um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I think about bringing it back just because mm-hmm. I love it so much. But, you know, when you run a large corporation that's doing international training. Yeah, when you're making that cash, cash money in Amsterdam, you can't do everything. No, it just became a lot to, to you know, and also like as a, as a woman who runs a company, I'm doing it all myself. I have an amazing assistant. Um, she's incredible. I have a woman that's assisting me with data stuff. Okay. But when it comes to business development, uh, training, anything, that, that's what I do. And yeah. So doing four community workshops every month, one of which was a three-week class, um, on top of coaching, on top of... It just got too much to market. Yeah. Outside... I mean, the marketing was really the big thing to ensure a enrollment. Um, so that's really why I let it go, because I'm a one-woman show for all intents and purposes. Um now I think I could maybe incorporate and have a little bit more headspace. Um, I, uh, you know, if the demand was there, I might do it. I don't know. That's something I think about sometimes. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so just quickly touching on marketing, how do you market yourself? <laughs> uh, unapologetically. Hey. Hey. <laughs> um, and, and I, we're, we're developing it much to my resistance a social (laughs) approach for 2019 um probably do some videos some promo videos um but really i market myself through authentic connection Mm -hmm. there's there's i still believe this and this might be the same person that told the guy four years ago that like you can't possibly measure presence um (laughs) this person is like one person I know I'm like where are you I'm gonna buy you a cake um, <laughs> um you're ahead of your time mister uh, but <laughs> I love how you just became like a 1920s newspaper <laughs> boy what are you talking about come back here uh, yeah um so but right now it's um yeah I think the best way to to sell what I do is to demonstrate that I'm a product of everything that I teach totally yeah and, and you really are you're very and, 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 and I'm, I'm very conscious of that right nothing I am today is by accident mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right yeah. um uh, it, it's through mindful intentional practice mm-hmm. um with with the deepening of my awareness of self and my liberation of expression of self, mm-hmm. right? So those two things combined. And so the best way to really market is to uh, do stuff. People see me on social media, you know, I post my workshops, but it's, you know, I, I reach out to people randomly and I'm just like, yo, I saw you on this thing or like I read an article and it's dope. I want to have a coffee with you. 
And that's literally how I reach out I to them. It. I'm not like, to whom it may concern. I'm like, no. I'm like, yo, <laughs> we got to activate some stuff together because uh, I think what you're doing is awesome and I yeah. want to be part of it. But that's authentic, exactly what you're saying, and unapologetic. Mm-hmm. And people can pick up on that. And then when they're with you, they definitely pick up on they that. They get it. They understand yeah. that I'm not just some, like, rando. But, um yeah, I think it's also like, and also I'm I'm very confident in what I do at this point. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, probably not so much, but now at this point, you know, I can have conversations with executives of any company and not feel mm-hmm. intimidated, right, by that conversation. Right, and I think that a huge lesson in that is practice. Yep, is just refining, going back, analyzing from what you're telling mm-hmm. me. Just really doing something. Um, you don't have to know everything in order to start. Um, you can do something and go I don't back. know if I can. What's possible? Exactly. If. Exactly. Yeah. It's what's yeah. possible if I'm just gonna. You don't know if I can. Matcha cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> right. Matcha cream cheese failure. But guess what? We learned a valuable lesson. <laughs> Never again. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Minna Taylor, thank you so much for being here. Christina Singh, thank you for having me. Where can people find you? I think the best way it, you know, I hate sending people to my website because I think it's a little too like touchy feely, but you can go to my website. It's energizeyourvoice.net. Uh, you can hit me up on the Insta, Energize Your Voice. Yeah, get me into those DMs. Um, Please don't do that. <laughs> exactly. Um, but if you want to see me, I think uh, you can, yeah, um, go to my website. You can email me there. You can also invite me to be on one of your podcasts mm. if you're a podcast pre- producer. <laughs> yes, please do. And um Please have Minna come to your company and talk about all things authentic and all things voice and breath and body because she will rock your world. She will improve your team. I have found so many benefits in the work that you do and you've taught me. And just thank you for being here. Thank you for being my first episode. I'm so excited. I'm so proud of you, girl. (laughs) Thank you. This is terrifying, but I have no outro similar to no intro. Um, but you know where to find Minna. Um, and then, uh, oh, right, we have social media. Um, Christine. <laughs> that's my outro. Um, you can follow us um, at Grown Woman Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, we'll probably have a Facebook page at some point. Um, I don't know. Do you want them to harvest your data? Just kidding. <laughs> Topical. Data is the new soon. currency, Minna. <laughs> um, all right. We're going to go now. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.